Hey guys, today is the last day that you can use the coupon code KDP15 at checkout over at perfectketo.com KDP15 for $15 off Perfect Keto exogenous ketones. Today's the last day. The coupon code expires at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. So if you are looking at using exogenous ketones and want to give theirs a try, that's where you need to go. I'll include a link in the show notes so that you don't miss out on this offer. And next up, our next offer that begins tomorrow, so on Monday, is pretty sweet. We're shifting gears and I'm going to be answering your questions all about electrolytes. One of the main questions I get about electrolytes is how do I know if I'm deficient or not in electrolytes. So here are a couple symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. Low energy, heart palpitations or racing heart, feeling shaky, dizzy or weak, like you're gonna pass out, which is never a good thing. Headaches or migraines, leg or other muscle cramps such as getting a charley horse at night or multiple charley horses, the worst. Trouble with constipation and bloating and a whole bunch more. So if you're like, dang, Maybe I need electrolytes. I highly recommend Perfect Keto Electrolytes. You can head on over to perfectketo.com slash KDP10 and use the coupon code KDP10 for $10 off their electrolytes. Now, this offer is good from October 1st to 31st, 2018. And if you're listening to this episode after this offer and it's long gone, you can still use the coupon code HEALTHFUL, all in caps, for 15% off your order at Perfect Keto. Hey y'all, you're listening to episode number 105 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today we're chatting about understanding why mental health depreciates, how to deal with the taboo of mental health, not being ashamed of mental health and your mental health status, and so much more. This topic means a bunch to me because for a very, very, very long time, I was really sick mentally and it really took over my life and made me into a person I didn't even recognize. In fact, my husband, Kevin, and I were walking the other day and the topic of like how I was treated in school came up and I was really bullied. And I just said, you know, Kevin asked me, why, why do you think people picked on you? And I'm like, uh, cause I, I, I don't know. And he's like, maybe it's cause you're weird. And I'm like, am I weird? And he's like, yeah, man, you're really weird. <laughs> and I think weird is a good thing. It's, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be different. And I know, and, and by, I don't want to be like everybody else. I just mean like, I don't want to follow the general path that I'm being told to follow. And then I started thinking, you know, when I was suffering from an eating disorder for so many years and became this person that I don't recognize to this day, I wasn't Leanne. And now as a 30, mid 30 year old woman, I feel like I'm more like my five year old self than I am like my 15 year old self. From the ages of, I would say, 13 to 29, I wasn't Leanne. And there was this track running in my head. And we chat about this in today's episode, this ongoing track of this negativity and beyond negativity. I mean, we, we're talking about depression here, but it very much relates to an experience with an eating disorder or any mental health issue is there are a lot of things that happen in our brain that we don't understand. And I think we need to talk about this more in keto. And today's guest agrees with me that we need to chat about this more because a lot of people deal with mental health 
imbalance and, and, and that's okay. And there's so much shame around it. Not so much now, but there still is. And I'm very happy that we get to have this conversation on the show and know that the content that we're going to be covering might be a little bit triggering. So if you get triggered by conversations about bipolar, depression, those sorts of things, I would skip this one out. But we have put together a pretty awesome podcast extra, which you guys can grab at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E105. And I've put together a little guide that will show you how to start eating keto. So if this is your first introduction to the Keto Diet Podcast, welcome. Or if you're new to keto and you need some help, you can head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash free, and it will give you a free guide on how to not get overwhelmed with keto and how to start with success. Okay. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women, so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, heal your body, quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles, and get the results you crave. And now, here's your host. You might know her as the Keto Queen. She's the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of Happy Keto Body, and she loves dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo, Leanne Vogel. Our guest today is Carrie Brown, who's a recipe developer and best-selling keto cookbook author, host of the Keto Evangelist Kitchen podcast, and partner of the Keto Evangelist Unlimited program with Brian Williamson and Danny Vega. You can find Carrie sharing free keto resources at carriebrown.com and ketoevangelistkitchen.com. Okay, let's jump over to this interview. Hey, Carrie, how are you? Leanne, how are you? I am, I'm happy, happy that we finally got ourselves together. Right? Like, so we had a conversation in September about doing this. Yes. And it, this episode will be going live September 30th. So <laughs> took yeah, us a year. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took us a year to do this. It's going to be the anniversary episode. Okay, I like this. The, okay. The anniversary of the of the of when we met. Yes, I love that. I like to ask all of our guests before we get started, uh, what does keto mean to you? Ooh, what does keto mean to me? It means being alive, literally being alive. Not not alive as in yay, but literally still breathing. Mm, mm -hmm. Kind of alive. And how did you find the ketogenic diet? I don't know your your story and how that came about. So I was low carb for several years and that was working well, but it was working well for a lot of things, but it was not working well for my brain because I, in 2013, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. And I had been depressed my whole life. And so it's been, a, it's been a rough road. It's been a lot of up and down, mostly down. I spent most of my life trying to understand why I thought the weird way I did, why I couldn't seem to communicate with other people the same way, why it seemed like I couldn't do anything right, why everyone was always mad with me. But I, I just, I couldn't work out why I felt the way I did or why I did the things I did because being depressed was just my normal. 
and as I say, it, over the years, I tried everything. I went into therapy. I mean, I tried all the things that were available at the time for me to try it. And then eventually I gave up. I mean, I would tried medication. Some of them worked a little bit. Most of them didn't work. Some of them made me suicidal. Some of them made me violent. So, I mean, you know, the whole gamut of, of the nightmare that taking depressions, medications for any mental health issue can be. And eventually I gave up and said, okay, it's actually just less painful to just be depressed than to take all these medications and, and, and have all the side effects that seem to go with it. And so I just battled my way through life for a lot of years. And, um, but then in 2013, it all kind of went dramatically wrong one night and I ended up in handcuffs in the hospital and police and armed guards and psychiatrists and, um, and the threat of being committed. So I had a mental break and the treatment I received afterwards was uh, led to my being diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. And then there followed another whole round of uh, mandatory psychiatric appointments and medications because they were trying to keep me stable enough that I could kind of exist, not kill myself, not harm anybody else. And But nine months after they started me on medications, I actually became suicidal. And I was suicidal for eight months straight. And at the end of that eight months, I, I basically got really, really mad and I fired everybody because nobody was asking the, the right questions. There, were, there was no critical thinking going on. Nobody was saying, why does Carrie have bipolar? No one was saying, why did Carrie suddenly go from being depressed to bipolar? Like, like what, what's, you know, let's stop trying to just drug her so that she stays alive. Let's try and work out why. But I was the only one asking why. So I got mad and I fired everybody. And I decided I was going to do whatever I could to figure out why I had bipolar because I had this crazy idea that if I could figure out why I had it, maybe I could, I don't know, do something to stop it. Crazy, right? <laughs> That's not how medicine works, right? You, <laughs> yeah. you, you just use Band-Aids. So I decided to start with my DNA because I figured that DNA was, it's absolute. There's no variables. I mean, I was thinking, is it food? Is, is it allergies? Is it environmental? Is it, you know, the fact that I grew up with a, a manic depressive father? Is it like, what is it? Or is it any combination of the above? So I started with genetics because I figured I'd start with the absolutes. And so I could knock the absolutes off the list and then I'd work down. So I got my DNA uh, report. And I discovered that I have the MTHFR genetic mutation. And around the same time, I bumped into Dr. Ted Naiman on Twitter. He started following me, which I'm always curious when doctors follow me. And, and so we got into a conversation and 
uh, I mentioned my bipolar at some point and he said, I think I can help you. And it just so happened that I was living in Seattle at the time and he was just 11 miles away from where I was. So I trundled off down to his office and I said, okay, why do you think that you can help me with my bipolar? And he said that he wanted me to try the ketogenic diet because the ketogenic diet was originally developed for helping to treat children with seizures. And since the medication I was on at that point was an anti-seizure medication, it made sense to him that the ketogenic diet might also help me since it was so good at helping children who were you know, a different system, but you symptom, but using the same drug to combat it. So I, uh, Ted put me on a ketogenic diet. So I'd been low carb up to that point. Ted, Ted put me on a, and a kind of hardcore, a therapeutic, not, I want to lose weight ketogenic diet, but a, my brain is broken ketogenic diet. So, so this, the, the point was, you know, to get those when you pee on the keto stick, like it needs to be as purple as possible, which is not what most people need to do. But for me, that was the goal was to get, you know, ketone production as high as we possibly could. So I did that for six weeks. And then I took my DNA report and an enormous pile of food sensitivity results and chemical sensitivity results and blood tests and all of these test results. I gathered it all up and I went to see a naturopath and we looked at the MTHFR and we looked at everything else that was going on. I was sensitive to like most food on earth. Um, I had a crazy case of leaky gut. I had a crazy E. coli infection. And so we started on on a whole course of protocols for naturally taking care of all of that. But the big thing for me was the, the MTHFR. I, that one of the things that that means is that we cannot methylate B vitamins. So when, when most people take B vitamins, our bodies can methylate them into a form that we can use. I can't do that. And so I'd had a, lifelong serious what's the word deficiency deficiency that's the word deficiency in in b vitamins and as you know leanne one of the main roles of b vitamins are neurotransmitter health and so my neurotransmitter has transmitters had never been they hadn't been getting the nutrition they needed because my body couldn't methylate the b vitamins into a usable form and of course, it's much more complicated than that. And I've just made it, you know, hopefully I've just made that easy enough for people to, to get what I'm, I'm saying. So I have to take methylated B vitamins. And so the ketogenic diet, super high fat, and the methylated B vitamins, those together, three months after I started seeing TED, we took me off my bipolar medications. That was... October 2015, so over two and a half years ago, and I have had no symptoms of bipolar since we took me off the medication. So I'm, I'm sustaining that result just by keto and obviously my methylated bees. Okay, so many questions. And also, <laughs> like, okay, my first question is, how did you go from 
trusting doctors and assuming that they had your back to wait like but why is this happening like what was that shift for you do you remember what happened I do I, I remember I remember exactly at the moment that that happened so when I had my mental break and I ended up in the hospital one of the conditions of them not committing me and letting me go was that I went to see a psychiatrist and had an evaluation and a diagnosis so I did that I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. And so every week I was required to show up at the psychiatrist with $300 in my hot little hand. And, you know, he'd trade 30 minutes of his time for my $300 every week. And it got to the point where one day I said, you don't actually know what you're doing, do you? And he said, no, we don't. He said, we, you know, people come with mental health issues and we, we group you together with people who have similar behaviors. We kind of clump you together in boxes and we label you. So you were labeled bipolar too because your behavior is, is, is very similar to all these other people. And so bipolar 2 isn't a thing. It's just a categorization that psychiatry has given you all to kind of give us a starting point so we can kind of try and try and control you better. We give you a label. And he said, and then what we do is we, we look at that, that box of people that you're in with and we say, okay, a lot of people have felt relief from taking this drug. So we're going to start you on this drug and we're going to see what happens. And if that doesn't work, then we'll try something else. And so I was going through this process. The first uh, drug they put me on, I was literally in a coma like two weeks I couldn't I couldn't function and I'm, I'm single and you know I have a mortgage and and a day job and you know I had to go and, and do all the things and I it became impossible for me to just function normally so they took me off that and they put me on something else and so we were going through this process and I just said you don't actually know what you're doing psychiatrist as a whole and he agreed with me and so I kept going for a little while and then it I realized one day that what was happening was I was going in to see him and I'm a very, I think a lot. I'm one of those people that I, I think I analyze everything. There's, there's nothing random about me. I'm a really deep thinker and I would go in and I'd sit down and I'd say, Hey, I was thinking about this. What do you think about that? What do you think that maybe this has something to do with that? And do you think that's why? And, and he'd look at me and he'd go, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And then I'd go back the next week and I'd go, hey, I was thinking about this thing that I saw on TV or this documentary, or I was talking to this other doctor, or, or and I thought, that sounds like this, and what about that? And he'd go, that's a great idea, let's do that. And so after a few more weeks of that, I was like, I'm sorry, but this is BS. I'm like, I'm coming up with all the ideas, we're just implementing, you're just giving me the go-ahead to implement my ideas, but... I'm the one that's doing all the thinking here and still nobody else is saying, why does Carrie have bipolar? Like what led to this? What caused the break? What's going on? And, you know, and, and, and I'm not dissing psychiatry. That's how they're trained. They're, they're not trained to ask why. They're trained to, to categorize that person and then treat them so that they can exist in society. And I wasn't interested in existing I was interested in making it stop altogether. 
and so that was that was really what pushed me to the point of this is this is crazy I hope you're totally digging this episode. I love putting these together every week and I hope you're getting something out of it. I love seeing where you're listening from. So next time you're listening or even right now, take a picture of yourself watching the show or a screenshot of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram at Healthful Pursuit. And if social isn't your thing, that's totally fine. Just jump on your favorite podcast player and leave a review for the show. Okay, back to the good stuff. Did you ever experience, like, I know when I was growing up, we never really talked about mental health. I mean, I, I was raised by a social worker who was very open with that stuff, but you know, in day-to-day life, life, no one really talked about depression or bipolar. It was a very shameful thing. Did you experience that or have you experienced that in your journey? And how did you deal with that? Absolutely. And, and I think, uh, I grew up in England which most of you probably already figured that bit out. Um, I'm over here in the States now, but um, I grew up in England and it was absolutely taboo. I think English people are a lot more closed than, than Americans and Canadians. And it was absolutely shameful. So when I started going, when I saw my first therapist when I was 19, my parents still have no idea that I did that because that would have been such a shameful thing to have a daughter or a child that was that was mentally ill that was so we we didn't talk about it i don't ever remember talking to anybody about it ever when i was in england then i came over to the states and i've been here 17 years and it is i think as time has progressed it's become more open but also it it's it's more acceptable here Americans generally are more open about that kind of thing, although there's still a huge stigma, but it wasn't anywhere near as repressive as England. And then I just think at some point along my journey, I mean, I was seeing a a psychotherapist for, not a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist for uh, 12 years. And, you know, because talk therapy was what you did. You know, if you had mental health issues, if you were depressed, you go talk about it. And it doesn't work if you're clinically depressed like I was if, or if you have something like bipolar. Talk therapy doesn't work. But it did. So it didn't help with the, with the solving of the depression or the bipolar. But that 90 minutes of me time every week where I had the opportunity to, like, talk about my struggles with someone who was completely non-judgmental, that was incredibly helpful. And, you know, my, I have to credit my therapist with, with me being alive because there were times where, it, you, you know, I was just so depressed that, that having that support system, especially because I have no family here, was, was critical. But it didn't actually change the status of my mental health. But at some point during that 12 years, I just got fed up. I, I just stopped caring what people thought. And I would just you know, if it, if it came up in normal conversation, oh yeah, I was talking to my therapist the other day, I would just say it yeah. because, and, and, and the more I said it, I, I just, I would care less and less and less. And now, and that's good because now, you know, I, I, I spoke at KetoCon in Austin back in June and I can stand up and talk to an entire hall full of strangers about the fact that I have bipolar and I, there's no shame 
I, there's no shame at all now. I mean, it, to me, it's like, and I used to refer to my bipolar as diabetes of the brain, just in a way to describe to people that there was no more shame attached to having a depressive illness than there was to, you know, having type one diabetes, you know, something like doesn't quite work right, but there's no more shame in it than that. So I used to refer to it as diabetes of the brain. And now I simply just don't care at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'm the same with my history of an eating disorder. Like when I was going through it, I was quite shameful about it because like what nutritionist has an eating disorder, but now I can be very open and honest and comfortable and there's no shame there. And I heard from multiple people that your talk at KetoCon was just amazing. Like so many people learn so many things and they came up to me after like, you need to have Carrie on your podcast. This was such a good conversation. So thank you for having no shame about that and teaching everyone else. Cause I think a lot of us deal with this. And in a blog post that you wrote about your experience, you said that this is so much more than sadness. And I think a lot of people get the two confused. Can you just go into a little bit about that, that it's like beyond sadness? It is. It is. It's very different. And I think that's probably where a lot of the the angst that people who are suffering, I think that's where a lot of their angst comes from. Because anyone who has not experienced depression has no ability to be empathetic or sympathetic to what it's like for someone. So I think that's the, the misunderstanding that sadness and depression are very, very different is shows up when you get the oh snap out of it comments and the you know oh just go work in the soup kitchen for an hour you'll feel better or just those those kind of those people don't understand depression they think you're just sad the difference with depression is that it's not something you can talk your way out of it's not something you can think your way out of it's like you don't actually have control of your brain. And I think for me, it made absolutely no sense. And that's what makes it so hard and so different is, you know, I looked at my life and I'm like, I had a fantastic job. I was working at Microsoft. I had a fantastic job. I had a beautiful house, detached house in Seattle. I had six adorable, I mean, I had this dream life and yet, I could not feel any joy. I had no reason to be depressed. And yet I had no control over it. And I think that's the piece that that is so misunderstood about this. If you haven't experienced not being able to control it, then you have to deal with this tsunami of people saying, you know, oh, get over yourself or just snap out of it or, you know, stop being a pain or, you know, just pull yourself together. And we can't. It's just not something we have control over. And to have, you know, when I was that that eight months when I was suicidal, there was a voice in my head. If I was awake, there was this voice in my head telling me to die all day, every day. Like I just, yeah, just it'll be, it'll be lovely. It'll be lovely. It'll, it'll be, this will all be gone and, and it won't hurt anymore. And, you know, this voice in my head, it literally, I thought I'd gone mad. I literally felt like I was was going mad. And, and, but to have that for eight months straight, every waking minute, this voice in your head 
it didn't matter what you do, you couldn't turn it off. That's what it's like. It's like if you can imagine having a radio on with this voice just in your ear the whole time, die, die, die. And how, oh my gosh, you're making me cry. I couldn't (laughs) imagine like how challenging that would be to hear that, you know, like I. That's very different to being sad. Yeah, that is not sad. (laughs) That is, that is beyond sad. So, so you start eating keto and things start improving. Did you notice that there was more than just about food? Like, did you find that there was a component of stress, like a a role of stress in any of this, or did stress not play a factor at all? I, for me, and I think this, this would be very, very unique to individuals. A lot of my stress, well, one, because I'm a fixer and I'm a thinker. And when you live with something like that, you can drive yourself mad trying to work it out. And when you can't, when, you, when you've spent your whole life not being able to take something apart to understand it or not be able to fix it, that was just unbelievably frustrating for me. I mean, just the frustration of not knowing what was wrong was almost overwhelming for a lot of the time. And so that created a lot of anxiety because I'm used to being able to figure things out and work out how to fix them. And I couldn't fix this. So that created a lot of stress. The fact that I was single and, you know, had a mortgage and a job and there was no one but me to keep that, you know, if I wasn't up and working, then everything was going to go to hell in a handbasket. And, and so that was on the one hand being single made it somewhat easier because I didn't feel like other people, you know, emotionally were depending on me. But on the other hand, if anything happened, I had to do it. So that was kind of like, you know, that was good and bad at the same time being single. But for me, that was very stressful. Lying, you know, lying alone. This may make people cry. So I'll warn you now, lying alone at night in bed, feeling suicidal and being alone and having no family and no one there. And just the thought of, I could just eat that bottle of tablets and nobody would even know. The only person, like when it rolled around to Monday morning and I didn't show up for work, my boss would know because I never didn't show up for work. So he would know immediately that something was wrong, but I could. And that, uh, and when you're when you're clinically depressed to that level and you're lying in bed and you're having these thoughts, that is unbelievably stressful when the the thinking, the part of your brain you have control over knows that that's not the answer and you've got to stop yourself. But the, the, the part of your brain you don't have control over is just telling you to just end it. It's incredibly stressful living with that disconnect in your head all the time. What would you recommend? Because I'm sure there are women listening right now that can relate to your story 100%. If you could go back and do it again, or if you had certain coping tools to be able to persevere through this, what would you what would you say to that woman listening that's like, Carrie, I feel this every day. I don't know what to do. So make commitments with people. So I made a verbal, in fact, I think I made a written commitment with my therapist that I would not harm myself without calling him first. And that was, it sounds silly, but that was surprisingly powerful. And and maybe for me, because I'm a commitment girl, I'm like, I, I understand the importance of when you make a commitment. 
So for me, that was very powerful. And then I had, I, I told people who got me what was happening and I would, they would know that, you know, if I called at two o'clock in the morning, then they knew that I really needed help. So I set up a, there were people around me that I could call. I also, I removed all ability to harm myself from the house. My, my MO would be pills. And so we swept the house. So all of my, even headache pills, like there was nothing, no pharmaceuticals, no over-the-counter, anything that could endanger me if I took too many, they all went to a friend's house. So I had nothing. That creates a buffer. So if you're going to do it, you've got to get up and get dressed and get in the car and drive to the store, right? That, and the, the idea behind that is that it creates enough of a buffer that, the act of doing or seeing a person at the store or it will break it enough for you to go to the hospital or call your friend or whatever you need to do to make yourself safe. So those were the three things that, that I, and then just grit. I mean, just like knowing, like trying to keep the thinking part of my brain louder than the voice that was telling me to die. But that was a constant struggle. But you know, I, I say you do what you've got to do, but it was so touch and go, especially for that eight months. It was, it was harder than any physical thing I've ever had to do, battling with my own brain to keep on the, on the right side of, and, and not getting so exhausted because that level of, of brain activity is so exhausting. And, and then having to go to work and pretend like nothing's wrong when there's a voice in your head telling you to die is the most exhausting thing I've ever experienced. And, you know, so then the exhaustion gets to the point where it's just like, I just can't do this any, I just can't do it anymore. So, and, and I think that was the point I was at when I realized that if I kept doing what the psychiatrists told me and I kept doing what my then doctors told me, Nobody was looking for a solution. It was, this was what my life was going to look like. And I was going to go through periods where I was stable and I was going to go through periods where I was suicidal and I just have to try and get through the bad patches. And I'm like, I was looking at the rest of my life looking like that. And I'm like, I, and that was like, I want to kill myself now. Like I can't just, the thought of looking at that being my life for the next, you know, 60 years was like, no. And, and so that's why I just said, I need to either figure this out myself or I need to find someone who, who wants to think critically and wants to help me figure out why. And so that's what I did. So amazing that it was almost this like miracle moment of the fact that you found keto and it completely changed everything for you. I mean, you're, and when we met in person for the first time, I felt you to be such a bright star and a warm heart. And just, I had no idea. I had no idea. Like you were just so accommodating and gentle and just everything. I just, it's so sad that we don't know what people struggle with. And it's so inspiring to hear how powerful the keto diet can be for so many people. Like the stories that I've heard of how keto is just like, I understand how you say keto is life. Like 
keto is your life. That's so amazing. What do you feel is missing in the keto space right now for mental health? People talking about it. Okay. Number one, I, you know, for as much as it's more open than it was, nobody's talking about it. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I could have come on the podcast and, and talked about, oh, the fact that I write keto cookbooks and, oh, hey, come and come and watch my videos or, you know, look at what I'm doing. But that's that's not, I mean, yeah, I do all that, but that's not what I want to talk about anymore. I want to talk about mental health because nobody else is talking about it and and I don't care anymore. So, you know, if people judge me, if people, there's going to be some people that just, you know, don't, don't want to have anything to do with me. I don't care because if, if my message, if my helping to bring it out in the open, if sharing my story makes other people brave enough to take a different path or investigate something different or, or, you know, drop a lot of the people they associate with and find new people that, 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 that do not judge them. If I can help that be one person, then that's what I want to do. I, I, I simply, I, I don't care anymore. And so for me, the number one thing is we need to talk about it, which is why I'm here talking about it. Yeah. I, but, but also the other thing about keto that frustrates me is that, is this sense of one size fits all. And I know that you and I are completely aligned on this <laughs> Yes, if, for different reasons and yeah. from different, from different angles, but we are all different and you have to figure out how to make keto work for you. I mean, on the simplest level, that's keto only works for me if I don't eat dairy. Awesome. You don't have to eat dairy. Don't eat dairy. Great. Or keto only works for me if I also do HIIT exercise. Awesome. Then do that. You know, but the, but the keto to me and this is a, a generalization because there are people like you and, you know, my, the keto evangelist team, Brian and Danny that I work with, we're all aligned that, you know, you've got to figure out what, what's the perfect keto for you within the bounds of the keto diet. But it, it, from my perspective, I see all these little blobs of people who are like, you have to, it, keto is high fat, low protein. There's no other way to do it. And if you don't, not doing that, you're doing it wrong. Or, and then there's the other people that uh, keto is like, you should eat all the protein and then only eat the fat that comes with the meat. And if you're doing it any other way, you're a butter chugger and you don't know what you're doing. And there, you know, and there, there, so there's all these little groups of people saying my way is the only way. And if you're not doing my way, you're doing it wrong. And I'm sitting in the middle with you going, why can't it be that some people do better with lower protein and higher fat while some people do better with higher protein and lower fat and some people do better with all the dairy and some people do better with all the dairy except cream cheese and some people do better with no I mean why can't that be a thing yeah I mean I'm trying to I make guess, it a thing I but... <laughs> we're just over here trying to make it our thing <laughs> trying to share the good word. It's so true. That was as somebody who um, really struggled with keto trying to fit in that box and I didn't fit in that box. And it, it made my experience with bulimia so incredibly challenging. I 
couldn't go an hour without binging and purging. It got so bad because I was trying to fit in this little box that I couldn't fit in. And I know that a lot of people listening maybe never experienced eating disorder or perhaps have never experienced depression, but the, the true message is you have to make it work for you. It's yeah, I totally agree. And it's unfortunate. And as the keto space grows and more people are introduced to it, I think having these conversations, I agree with you, is so important. And anytime you want to come on the podcast and chat about this, you have an open invitation because <laughs> I think take it, you up on that because yes. I, I got lots to say. <laughs> Great. You're welcome anytime. I did the, the other thing that, that drives me crazy is that, you know, for all, all the people that are, are promoting keto, like we're all going for the same goal, but we're not all moving in the same direction. Like why, why is there this infighting about who's got it right and who's got it wrong? And are we not smart people trying to help? Why are we name calling? Like, what is that? Yeah. Like, are you really like, cause you're a super smart group of people, but the name calling you lost me. If that's the best you can do, what, why why is everyone spending time in fighting when we could be saving people? Mm -hmm. I don't engage with any of it. I don't really. Yeah, no, I just, I think you just have to be super hyper-focused, whether you're um, trying to do work in the keto space or um, you have a goal of, I don't know, getting your period back uh, could be a goal for you. I think just staying focused on that and letting everything kind of just wash away and staying focused on what you know to be true and good for you and, and good and for that's your body. What I do. That's what I do. And I don't engage with any of it, but I know for sure that the people we're here trying to serve get really confused by it. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of intelligence that isn't being, isn't getting to the people because it's buried in this pile of I'm right, you're wrong. And name calling and all this nonsense we as a collective group could be helping so many more people if we just embrace the fact that i do better and half the keto world's going to fire me now but i don't care i do better when i eat lettuce it's true yeah i i eat probably i eat an entire romaine lettuce every day great right yeah I love romaine lettuce. I hate I, it. <laughs> I feel, and you know, I grate cheese on it and, you know, yeah. what I eat. And am I still in ketosis? Yes, I am. So, you know, anybody out there that's going, oh, well, that's not keto. That's not keto. I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. One, nobody's telling you that you have to eat a whole romaine lettuce. And two, I'm not going to stop doing what makes me feel better because you think that it's not keto, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Where can people find more from you? So I have a podcast with Brian Williamson called The Keto Evangelist Kitchen. Then we have a website of the same name. We have a very large Facebook group of the same name, Keto Evangelist Kitchen. And then Danny Vega, who we all know and love. Uh, Danny and Brian and I, <laughs> the end's making little heart signs at me. <laughs> she didn't do that for me just for Danny yeah, yeah <laughs> sorry I know I did mine before the air I'm like oh <laughs> so um so Danny Brown and I have a a, a membership for the really like the the really 
focused, intense, hardcore people that don't want all the noise. We, we have a Keto Evangelist Unlimited for them. And then I also have um, my YouTube channel, which I've just started to build, um, which is The Real Carrie Brown, because people want me to do cooking videos. So I had to have somewhere to, to put them. So, and also if anyone wants to, to hear my KetoCon presentation where I talk specifically about my my whole journey with bipolar then YouTube the real Carrie Brown is where to find that and uh, make sure you have tissues amazing I haven't watched it yet I should do that I didn't know it was on YouTube okay my my YouTube is new because and I I'm and this is one of the big reasons why we this is our anniversary and we're only getting the podcast out now is because I'm a I'm a massive introvert and I'm a hermit and so I've tried to to kind of to do what I do in the keto space, but not be the face of it. I've tried to like do it from behind the scenes and, yeah. and that has worked to a point. But I, I suddenly realized that if I was really serious about getting the message about mental health out there, if I was really serious about helping people to save themselves, then I had to become visible. So I, and it's killing my introvert, but there it is. You do what you got to do, right? So the, the, the helping the people is more important to me than my inner introvert being sad. So um, I've just started to build IG. So I'm on Instagram now, The Real Carrie Brown. I've just started to build my YouTube. So that's new, but um, there might be some stuff up there that you all will find useful. Congratulations. That's awesome. We'll include links um, to all the things you just mentioned in today's podcast extras, which everyone can find at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E105. And Carrie, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm, um, yeah, I thank you. Of course. Anytime. Really and open invitation. <laughs> we shall plan and um, it won't be another year from now deal <laughs> thanks for listening to the keto diet podcast join us again next sunday to discover more keto for women secrets for your fat-fueled life the keto diet podcast including show notes and links provides information in respect to healthy living recipes nutrition and diet and is intended for informational purposes only the information provided is not a substitute for medical advice diagnosis or treatment nor is it to be confused as such we cannot guarantee that the information provided on the keto diet podcasts reflects the most up-to-date medical research information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.